0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on Tap, we have Videodrome, starring James Woods, Sonia Smits, Deborah Harry, and Les Carlson. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue on with our Cronenberg Cask Part 2 And we have from 1983, Videodrome, the Universal Pictures Canadian uh, financed <laughs> 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 uh, motion picture. This was uh, the last uh, Canadian financed film of his filmography. You, know, you think what, they said that's enough? That's enough, Mr. Cronenberg. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we've seen uh, enough of your oeuvre. Yep. But kind of after this, he was kind of indoctored into the studio system, if you will. So the dead zone and then the fly was the big one, right? Sure, yeah. So, but first time watch for you, we just watched in The Other Room. I love doing this. I love getting your just instant reaction and just kind of like what you're seeing on the screen. And man, like it's, to tell someone to go watch a David Cronenberg movie that has no idea, like, the guy's style, what he brings to the table, you would have to just be totally flabbergasted by, like, what he presents to the audience, right? So, yeah, yeah. consider yourself, like, sitting in the theater in 83 or, like, in 79 for The Brood, and you just, you wouldn't be prepared for, like, what you were about to witness.
0: Yeah, and did you, by chance, watch the trailer? For video drum? For this.
1: Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, the Commodore 64. Yeah, you yeah. would
0: have no idea what this was setting you up for other than some exercise in, in at that time, contemporary media, I suppose. Uh, and then maybe some images of, of James Woods. But, um, yeah, you're in for a bit of a ride on this one if you were in the theater in 1983, 84. Let's go see that video yeah. drum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll get into it. We'll get into the nitty-gritty
1: on what makes it tick and a lot of the interesting uh, psychological questions being asked and proposed and all the sexy stuff too, right? Yeah. <laughs> or a- anti-sexy in some instances. <laughs> Very interesting use of Debbie Harry in this film. Yeah, right? Interesting, interesting. So some, some more of the Ponderosa whiskey. mm yeah, let's have good uh, drinks before we get sucked into the cathode ray tube, uh, but let's get started with our flight question. Today we are witness to the dawn of a new communications era,
2: brought upon us by satellites, lasers, fiber optics, microprocessors, and magnetic bubbles,
1: for the transfer of information, ideas, knowledge.
0: Go ahead and hit us with that flight question this week. A little bit odd, right? Mm -hmm. James Woods, who I think is, uh, I feel like I'm being mk ultra right now. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What is this on my stomach? Hey, just call me Barry Convex, Matt. That's right. (laughs) Uh, we missed, I think a sneaky career with him and what could have been villainy. And I, I, I personally like James Woods. I think his story is interesting as not so much as an actor. It is that way too, but also just as a guy. And I don't know if we'll ever have another conversation, frankly, about James Woods. This is it. (laughs) There might be one like going forward with one movie that probably was appear on my list, maybe yours too, Mm -hmm. but. So, I decided let's do top three James Woods performances, three, three, two, two, one, one. I'll kick us off. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Hercules, Hades. Okay. Um, also, my number three. So, let's just talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really underrated Disney film, to be honest with you, probably because it doesn't have a princess and they do tend to sell better than princes do. Mm-hmm. He has that sort of Boston thing working as Hades in there, and he's kind of conny and kind of shystery. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think perfect. Yeah. That's a perfect cast for voice. Yeah. When you proposed this question, I was kind of taken
1: aback just because like off the top of my head, I I really couldn't kind of think of like James Woods films. I was like, yeah, I know he's been in stuff, but like, I don't know if I necessarily think about him and like his performance first, but this was one that jumped, you know, right up to me, which was yeah. Hades. I mean the, the character drawn has a cool look to himself the like flaming blue head and everything. Yeah. But James Woods plays so Smarmy yep. and Scummy yep. too easily. I and mean, we'll get into it in this film too, right? Sure. Uh, but that's Hades in a nutshell. I mean, he's just kind of like the the demon of Greek mythology in uh, a certain extent. They've been toying around right now with... Uh, you know, the Disney remake train, right? And Hercules has kind of been the next one kind of thrown about. I think Taron Edgerton has been tossed as Hercules. I'm okay with that. Sure. Uh maybe I caught Zendaya in there as Meg. Yeah, not bad. Uh but they kinda gotta get James Woods back to play Hades, right? I think wouldn't, so. wouldn't you think? Yeah. If they kind of recast I thought that was one of the big missteps of the Lion King remake was uh, not going back to Jeremy Irons for Scar, uh, mm-hmm. and same instance here. I think that voice and that kind of personality. I think you need to to make happen. Is it Zendaya? Maybe it was Florence Pugh. I don't know. What was? I prefer the second
0: to one, one of the, those the, people. The, the latter to the former. It might not be either of those two, but that there you have it. You know, for all the things that I don't think have played well in live action, that mm-hmm. probably would because yeah, it's mortal mm-hmm. instead of animal.
1: Yeah. And we don't get a lot of like Greek mythology play. I mean, it's been a long time since those uh, Clash of the Titans
0: uh re-dos, right? Yeah. So it's kind of an untapped little area of fantasy. Well, you hit it on the head with Smarmy. So this is a perfect number two entry with a great segue for me. It's Lester mm-hmm. Diamond from Casino. Yeah, good choice. Uh, Sharon Stone's boyfriend mm-hmm. side piece, I guess. Yeah, man, he sucks in that film. And again, it highlights he doesn't have the body or the look to pull off square jawed, you know, powerhouse. Everything he's got to be done is everything he's got to pull off has got to be done on mm-hmm. the DL clandestinely sneaky. Um, the Eddie Haskell knee, the, the Eddie Haskell of villainy. That's sort of what he is slick enough to get by in a pinch, but with any real digging into it, the character doesn't hold, but that plays for good, mm-hmm. hard, hateable characters. Mm-hmm. And, that's number 2 for me. Awesome choice. And a film that I absolutely adore. Yeah, Casino's amazing. I mm-hmm. mean,
1: we got we got to dip our toe back into the Scorsese pool because there's a lot there, you know, Taxi Driver and mm-hmm. the last uh the king of comedy, Casino, mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh there's so many just untapped, you know, films that we could Shutter really Shutter Island. Sh- I love Shutter Island. I, and you know, Cape Fear. I know we have interesting differences on Kind of both versions. They're both pretty good at the same time. Be fun to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Great choice.
0: Thanks. yours number two.
1: My number two, Jack Crow from Mr. John Carpenter's Vampires. Uh, maybe kind of like the swan song of Carpenter's career in terms of like enjoyability and, you know, actually caring about <laughs> the film you're making. Mm-hmm. But in kind of a Wild West vampire that's a little from *Dust Till Dawn, but also a little near dark. You got James Woods right in the middle there as this character who's a little Han Solo, but like with like an uber kind of nasty streak to him. Uh, and when he's got the shades, he's kind of got the leather. It's a whole look to him, and I think he plays it pretty well. Uh, and that's just kind of a, a fun, odd little film that um, I think warrants a little bit more reappraisal uh, in terms of late 90s uh, kind of horror action. You know, it was right before Blade. It was right before we were going to start doing a bunch of, like, more action-oriented stuff with vamps uh, before Underworld and Ben Helsing and all those films. So, yeah, that's my number two. Go check it out if you've never seen it. It's uh, Honestly, it's probably Carpenter's last good movie.
0: (laughs) Strange cast, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. For him in that. Mm Mm-hmm. This last one, number one for me, is three different possibilities. Okay. I'll go with what I don't think is a great movie, but he was really good in it, and it's... Jack Wise and Against, or sorry, yeah, Jake Wise and Against All Odds. Mm. Uh, that's one of those movies for me that if we ever do the, what could have been executed to film greatness, this would mm. be one of the three entries. The other one would be the often discussed. Star Chamber. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but never reviewed. We'd have to figure out the third one. But there's a there's a nugget in that of cinematic mastery it doesn't get there. Have you ever seen that film? Mm-mm. Great song by Phil Collins. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, was that song written for the, for the movie? It was. And a great video that leads you into what's going to be this high stakes chase kind of film. And it just, it gets there kind of, but it doesn't, but he's really, really good in it. Uh, yeah. Jake wise. I don't know if that's one I'm going to sit down and I'm going to show you something you've never seen before Jesse. Cause you'd mm. be like, Matt, can I have those couple hours back? Because it's not that, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, kind of a caper sort of film, and I think you would like it with a pretty interesting love triangle in it. Uh, Jeff Bridges, I was seeing Rachel Ward. Yeah, Rachel Ward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I've seen that poster before of like the laying on the sand on the beach, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. From uh, here to eternity esque. My number one I'm going Maximilian Berkovitz, uh from Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, talk about another tough watch, right? I mean, just in terms of just its length and it's kind of what it demands from the audience. I mean, it's, I think like three hours and 40 minutes of like the most complete cut you can watch Sergio Leone, but it's a very interesting kind of off the beaten path. I think type of mob film kind of focuses on more of like the Jewish centric, uh, version of what a mafia could look like. And him and De Niro are really fantastic in that. Uh, so is Jennifer Connelly. I believe in her first film role ever, uh, but that's that's a film worth your investment it's i'm not going to pop that one on as often as i do the godfather or goodfellas or any uh even casino for that matter but i think that's a pretty rich performance uh in there
0: and kind of a large scale scope mob epic and it's been a long long time since i've seen that one that's mm -hmm. a good that's a good callback
1: yeah it used to be really kind of it was always piecemeal i mean you could get like kind of like a Kind of a, a theatrical release, and finally a few years ago, they released kind of what's supposed to be the most complete version you can kind of see, because the longer versions have all kind of been dusted and thrown away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, check out, check out. I think we gave some pretty good uh, recommendations here as well. So, check out some of these films. Were you surprised
0: when you dug into his filmography how much he's done?
1: A little bit. I forgot that he played uh the what you might the Father Marin intro in Scary Movie too. I was like, that was James Woods. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. Academy
0: nominated for Ghost of Mississippi.
1: Yeah, that's that's one I've been wanting to uh, to revisit. Uh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, Nixon, and then what was the other one here? Oh, and Chaplin. Chaplin,
0: fantastic f- uh, film. Uh, Any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. And if we were going to go with TV, I know you didn't watch it, but he was really good. And Ray Donovan as mm. Sully Sullivan. There you go. The other thing that's really interesting about about James Woods is you know Dolph Lundgren levels of yeah, intellect. That's uh, what you're saying. Dropped out of MIT. Yeah. To become this you know kind of B list movie actor, mm-hmm. but forged a nice career nonetheless. Yeah. And. Kind of controversial these days. Mm-hmm. Got some interesting um, political beliefs. And I don't want to delve into all that now, but I can say this. I do respect that he stood by them. Mm-hmm. It essentially cost him his career and uh good for him. He, um, live your values, I guess.
1: He's got a real great bit in family guy. in one yeah. of the episodes where he plays himself and he has his own jaunty little tuner. He's like, I am James Woods, James Woods. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, and then, in in that episode, Peter Griffin is trying to trap James Wood because he's such a pest and menace in that episode, but he traps him kind of like E.T. with Reese's Pieces, and James Wood just goes, oh, piece of candy. Mm-hmm. Oh, piece of candy. Oh, piece of candy. And he voiced him in the episode, so he had a little fun with, you know, kind of poking fun at himself too, right? Yeah. Uh, dang it, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, a lot of those characters that we listed, you know, kind of slimy dudes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kinda, kind of like snaky. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it feel like James Woods also should have been in Heat? Like Michael oh, Mancy, yes. Like, I feel like he would have fit that world like really well. But let's talk about how he fits into the world of David Cronenberg with our review breakdown of Videodrome.
3: Your television station offers its viewers everything from softcore pornography to hardcore violence.
4: Why? Well, it's a matter of economics, Rena. We're uh, small. In order to survive, we have to give people something they can't get anywhere else. And, uh, and we do that.
3: But don't you feel such shows contribute to a social climate of violence and sexual malaise? And do you care?
4: Certainly I care. <laughs> I care enough, in fact, to give my viewers uh, a harmless outlet for their, their fantasies and their frustrations. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a socially positive act. What about it, Nikki? Is it socially positive?
3: Well, I think we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake. We gorge ourselves on it. We always want more, whether it's tactile, emotional, or sexual. And I think that's bad.
4: Then why did you wear that dress? Sorry? That dress. It's very stimulating. And it's red. You know what Freud would have said about that dress.
3: And he would have been right. I admit it. I live in a highly excited state about stimulation.
4: Listen, I'd really like to take you out to dinner tonight. Yeah, you,
3: you, Professor you to Oblivion, what do, you think? do you think erotic TV shows and violent TV shows lead to desensitization, to dehumanization?
4: Is the microphone?
2: The television, television screen is. has become the retina of the mind's eye. Yes. That's why I refuse to appear on television, except on television. Of course, Oblivion is not the name I was born with. That's my television name. Soon, all of us will have special names, names designed to cause the
1: cathode ray tube to resonate. Matt, the first question I want to ask you in relation to Videodrome here. So this comes out in 1983. I shudder to even think about, you know, sitting in a theater with an audience like this with a fairly dense story, a lot of ideas at play, and just seeing a lot of those just whoosh, go right over their head, right? Yep. Is this film too smart for 1983? Is it maybe a little bit more contemporary? Is it
0: a little bit more for a today's audience? Oh, for sure. Yeah. They weren't ready for the propagandization of modern media. hmm and it paled in comparison then to what it is now. Yeah. Yeah, the movie is 25, maybe 30 years mm-hmm. too early in this commentary. Yeah. I think a lot of people went and saw it and probably were drawn to it with the name Cronenberg because they wanted to see the body horror element that he at this point had had mastered. Mm-hmm. And they get it. You certainly get it with James Woods yeah. in a couple different places on his body. Debbie Harry to a certain extent as well. Mm-hmm. But I think the body horror piece of this is far less prevalent than, say, The Brood. Mm -hmm. Certainly The Fly. Oh, yeah. And you're left with a pretty strong commentary on the influence that media has on viewers and what it's doing to those viewers. People in 1983 Mm -hmm. turned on the news and thought what they were getting in the news was the truth. Yeah. And it was more closer to the truth than the editorialized pieces we get now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's way, way, it might even be ahead of its time for now. Yeah.
1: I think it feels pretty kind of rooted in in, you know, to kind of today's, you know, when you kind of, you know, think of what media encompasses now more than just television. Because, you know, I don't really sit and watch, you know. Everyday news, but I do read online articles. I read, you know, stuff, you know, if it's on, you know, a social media platform, YouTube, the splinter of the mind's eye. I know that's a Star Wars novel, but the retina of the mind's eye is now computer screens and smartphones and tablets yeah. and i love what brian oblivion says in that opening thing he's like we're all gonna have different names in the future well you know what he's kind of right you know have you ever heard of like a twitter handle or a youtube username yeah, yeah. we're all going by different aliases you know to kind of have this faux personality uh online right yep. and all this stuff being you know i think this is even more uh I think this is, you know, very apt because, you know, before you came over this morning, I just, you know, I was on going on a little bit of a YouTube rabbit hole and I somehow ended up at 911 footage. So oh, wow uh, it was just kind of, it was this interesting, like uh, four news stations in real time as the news was kind of coming in on that morning and mm-hmm. just kind of watching it all play out together mm-hmm. was very fascinating. But, you know, I bring that up because it's, it, it deals a lot with what today's, you know, film is, is the desensitization of the stuff being fed to us and max character, right? Uh, like what he's looking for, working for this kind of pirate radio or a television station, civic TV of all places. Yeah. Channel 83 that you're going to get, you know, maybe on the bandwidth, your UHF station. And he's looking for something more intense than what's offered on the thing because, you know, the traditional audiences don't have the palette for just the normal stuff anymore. We got to keep going bigger and bigger and I feel like modern news is like that today. It's the stories aren't tragic enough. They're not, you know, dark enough. But when those happen, they feed into them even more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that decent. We're so used to that type of stuff now. And I feel like, you know, 9-11 was a huge event, right? It was just this huge. We'd never seen that happen play out in real time before and max is kind of tapping into something uh with that here like what do you think of his job cuz we love interesting occupations on on screen right
0: his job as kind of like proprietor talent, of smut yeah talent scout for crap de- depravity yeah 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 proprietor of smut and all things wicked mm-hmm. he even admits early on in the film when they're going through that japanese porno oh samurai dreams <laughs> that it's not hard enough mm-hmm. so 83 right like having any type of whether it's softcore or hardcore but like he's bring he references softcore any type of core yeah not being enough he's really pushing the envelope so it gets back to the idea right if it bleeds it leads mm-hmm. and no tourniquet's going to stop what max is after he is looking to dismember bleed out we, lecherous leech mm-hmm. lecherous Despite that, he does seem to have a bit of an affability about him that makes you, I can't say really, really like him. Mm-hmm. And I think they do that through Deborah Harry, and we'll get with we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But on channel 83, which is community access D list community access, mm-hmm. 83 is way down on the dial. Yeah. At what time during the night are you able to broadcast that? And you know, it took me back to that documentary that we both watched—that Channel Z documentary—which mm-hmm. we want to push the envelope. Now he's pushed the envelope because he's trying to get eyes on and make money. Not all of the channels that do that certainly are, are driven by that. Some of actually is, is through autistic or oh, said aut- artist, art, mm-hmm. artistic mm-hmm. expression, but he isn't an artist. This is just shameless shock value pursuit of shock Mm -hmm. but he makes a pretty solid case which is look there are people that want this Mm -hmm. so you can yell at me about putting it out there but there's supply and demand (laughs) it's like an adrenaline
1: junkie right it's like once you get that high of skydiving you got it you're constantly chasing you know what's going to give you that rush again and it's kind of equated here on the television which was if we give them something that's as titillating and tantalizing as samurai dreams Well, you know what? They're going to need more. They're going to need to see, you know, more next time. They're going to need to see something that pushes their boundaries of tolerance until they say stop. But I don't think the audience ever really does say stop sometimes. Uh, And, yeah, that constant pursuit. And this is what I really always appreciated about Videodrome, which is how far down the rabbit hole are you willing to look for something that you're not meant to find? And he does, you know, through his little pirate buddy we're getting
0: into, like, in a 2023 way, like, dark web sort of space yeah, now, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, this is like, yeah, the 4chan of, yeah, yeah of before, of 1983. Right. How far you're going to go and and you find something that you, you were never meant to see. Uh, what we're going to find out later in the film is it's kind of a long con of mm-hmm. brainwashing and uh, public manipulation, which is a whole different facet. We'll go down that road later. Yeah. But let's just stay in the space of... Our eyes seeing images that, you know, to him, Videodrome viewing it the first time is like, oh, my God, the production value. Look how cheap this is. How did they do that? Mm-hmm. What, what is that? Is that a clay background? Oh, I got to get access to this. What can you tell me about it? Uh, it's coming from Malaysia. Uh, actually, it's coming from Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, I, I got to get more. And I like this little assistant that he has or this like other talent scout, Masha. This older, like, uh, you know, she looks like she belongs on the set of The Wolf Man, right? mm-hmm. uh, Maria Oshpinskara. Yeah, uh, find out what you can about Videodrome for me, and then maybe I'll buy your Apollo and Dionysus uh, sex <laughs> sex portal. Right, right. Uh, we'll make it a package deal. Again, it's all about the all about the cash, the cash value at the end of the day. And the more he finds out about, it, the more confusing it gets. The less sense it makes, and. What none of them, you know, tend to realize when they're viewing video drama, I'll I'll play a clip here and we'll talk about it and we'll bring in Harry into the fold. They're all just like, wow, this is odd footage to be watching. No one really clicking that. Uh, Is this real? Right.
3: God, I can't believe it. I'll turn it off. No, no, no. It's okay. I can take it. Can you get it any clearer?
4: It's a pirate tape. They scramble
3: it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it turns me on. Take out your Swiss Army knife and cut me here, just, just a little.
4: Looks like somebody's beat me to it.
3: I wonder how you get to be a contestant on this show.
4: I don't know. Nobody ever seems to come back next week.
3: (laughs) What did you say happened to your shoulder? A friend. I think he'd like video drama.
4: You let somebody cut you?
3: Uh Uh-huh. What do you think? Well,
4: I don't know.
1: What do you think of her character? And or how would you describe her job as DJ of emotional psychologist? Kind of like a a bit of a John Tesh, or some sort of, you know,
0: self-help on the radio, right? Yeah, with a real strange way of talking about the people that call in. Mm Lover, love. love. Oh, let's see here. Um, Pretty awkward first date Mm -hmm. or post first date. (laughs) Taxi driver. Let's go see a porno. Um, I
1: don't know. I mean, it works out a little bit better than that when he finds out, uh, she's into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Debbie Harry. in this is interesting in that she doesn't act like she looks. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, she's, you know, pretty racy.
1: Or she's missing that
0: iconic, those iconic blonde locks. Right. Right. It starts on set in the middle of that show when he starts rolling mm-hmm. on her there. And I love it because, Dr. Oblivion speaking and the two of them are talking over Recording process. Yeah,
1: talk, You're talking over this dead man, <laughs> which is an interesting statement
0: <laughs> Yeah, because the fact that the titular or the sensationalized or the excess, this flirting is going above and beyond what they should be paying attention to, which is his words on the show that they've been invited to mm-hmm. speaks to, I think what Max Ray ran, Ren, sorry, is struggling with. And that's if it's not salacious enough, people won't pay attention and mm-hmm. he's living proof of that on this show. So I've got this girl next to me. My senses are on fire and I've just said that as much. Yeah. Got this guy on TV. <laughs> that red
1: dress is driving me crazy. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't give a damn what he says. Mm-hmm. And that's in a nutshell, the first half of the film until mm-hmm. you started saying what you set up when we go down this other road. Mm-hmm. When she comes home with him, you know, once I think he probably gets her in the apartment, you kind of think you're you got a shot.
1: Well, her first lines out of her are like, Hey, do you have any porno to put on or like right. that's not first date stuff? That's like
0: you know <laughs> Yeah. Very comfortable a, with each a long
1: other. Time. Sure, yeah, She's just yeah, oh yeah. Check yeah, my, my check my milk crate there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as much as he is the purveyor of these sensationalized idea. He's also the proof that if you don't give it to them, they're going to seek it out elsewhere. Mm -hmm. If he listens to what oblivion is telling him, which as we hear it is really important information in the context of the film. And if you really start decoding what he's saying, that is hyper, hyper, hyper sensationalized. Mm -hmm. The bit with Nikki is easier. Yeah. And fantasy and more tantalizing there you go so he becomes the spoke in the wheel of this process that he's trying to put the brakes on and i love that corollary or that that negative correlation between what he wants and what he's doing then when he gets her home Mm
1: -hmm.
0: don't you feel like he's probably been through this process a time or two knows these ropes pretty well yeah and she drops, do you have any porno? Which for you and I would be like, who did I just bring home on this first date? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't miss a beat.
1: He's like, oh, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but wait, I want to show you this other thing. And
1: Well, she pulls it out and goes, what's this? What's Videodrome? And he's like, "Uh, that's torture, murder. It's like, smut, ah. smut film. And he's like, oh, let's put it on. And at that point, you should be like, "Uh, slight. Who, who you did know,
0: I bring home? You know, burnt orange
1: flag. Uh, this is a little weird that she's kind of instantly into it and. You know, they're kind of watching it together and they're both, you know, you're right, purveyors of indulgence and taste. And they both kind of get into it. And then what I don't know about Max is if he's ever kind of gone down this s route that she's obviously very comfortable and familiar with. But he plays, you know, you know, partner very well, you know, piercing her ears and just needles in the ears, cigarettes on on, on breasts uh and Cronenberg shoots it in a way that only he can, which is it's sexy and horrifying all at the same time. Because yeah. when it pulls back and they're in like a Hellraiser dungeon, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think there's anything really glamorous about that other than the bodies gyrating on the floor down there.
0: So he's the control group for what he's trying to sell on Channel 83. Mm-hmm. He's also the protagonist active at the same time. So in this bit with with Nikki. He ends up, you know, delving into the cuts on her shoulder, and then we get to them consummating the relationship and the fantasy that ensues, which is penetration on film, but not the kind that we think. Yeah. It's him piercing her ears with a not at remotely all sterile needle.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh man, he even takes a lick,
0: <laughs> like licks the blood off, I guess, to lubricate it so it goes in. Whatever, man. No, he, that, no, he licked it. The, post, the blood,
1: pulls blood. Yeah, yeah. And then
0: he does the other ear with it. Yikes! Yuck. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the sanitary piece, obviously, yuck. But all of that is in that space that he is trying to give to his viewers. Mm-hmm. When what he was test driving with Videodrome. And she has seen is what got him to be able to penetrate her like that. So there's this really complex web Mm -hmm. of what's the cause, what's the effect is the chicken come before the egg. Like what is setting up what and what we're getting. And then especially with the dungeon bit Mm -hmm. is this blending of skewing what's reality, Mm -hmm. what's perceived and and what's fantasized. Yeah. And that's going to be the rest of the film. And Mm -hmm. it makes it on the first viewing A little bit hard to sort of, and that's part of the fun of the film.
1: A little overwhelming.
0: Decoding where in the hell he is in those three paradigms Mm because they're all active the entire time the rest of the film.
1: Yeah. yeah. I definitely have some, you know, kind of uh, some more clear kind of points of view on like what those might look like in terms of what's hallucination, what is the public actually seeing because as far as I know in this film, the public's just seeing a madman going around shooting people, right? How yeah, with very little kind of
0: care about that.
1: Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rabid-like. Remember in Rabid when, yeah. they, when they blew Santa away? And yeah. everyone's just like, oh, let's get to the gap. Let me go finish my Christmas shopping mm-hmm. list. Cronenberg has a really good way of treating violence that it's like kind of not a big deal because maybe we do see so much of it on television, in the news, right? Desensitized. We are, we are desensitized to it. Yeah, I think I, I cracked up when you know later you know his uh, pirate guy blows him uh, gets blown up, and this little girl runs down the street and she is so enamored with going to see the wreckage of this body parts everywhere, and you're just like, what? It's like that's almost comical, but mm-hmm. there's kind of a, an interesting purpose there. Which, real
0: quick about yeah. this, I wanted to talk about this, and maybe we can do it now. Yeah, for a guy like Cronenberg, that a lot of what he. Gets his whore from is shock value or, oh my gosh, is that really happening? And is that womb on the exterior of mom? Yeah. Last week. Mm-hmm. And did she just bite it to free it? Yes. <laughs> it's an interesting comment that he would say the media is going to corrupt you mm-hmm. and you're addicted to it. Yeah. Because that's. And I'm doing it through a form of media. His ace in the hole. That's <laughs> where he's cut his teeth. Yeah. Did- mm hmm. <laughs> We can say the fly is a great story. No one's going to say it's an amazing story. It's a good movie, mm-hmm. but what sells the fly is watching Brundlefly be born. Yeah, the Brood mm-hmm. is an interesting analysis on the psychoanalytic. Yeah, but I can't say that's this amazing, great pen story. Like it's a uh, it's yeah. a fine. Yeah, I don't. What I'm saying is I don't think he he makes his mark in his his fans' minds. With great, great, great story. The story, they're fine. They're mm-hmm. they're just okay. Yeah. What's better than okay is the visual that he puts in his films. Yeah. And yet he's making a commentary in this about it's not really the story, because in that smut piece that we're seeing in Video Dream where the girl's being whipped, James Wood's character, Ren, mm-hmm. admits yeah. there's no production value here. There's no story. It's just three people abusing this woman. It's how, how do I Yeah. He's admitting it.
1: Mm-hmm. What, I, what I've always really liked about, you know, Cronenberg, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, you know, I love The Fly. You know, I love all these films that, that, that we're doing and talking about. But when you look at them, you're just like, yeah, it's there's nothing like over. It doesn't seem like there's something overly special about them or like the way they're made. I mean, The Thing and American Werewolf in London, I think, are more expertly crafted films, yeah. pieces of cinema. But the questions that mm-hmm. he plants in these films, I think, outlive the story. Sure. After the viewing, and that's what led us to this episode here today, which is all these thoughts on what he's trying to say that you kind of can't grasp on that first viewing, right? You got to kind of let it marinate with you for a while. And I maybe can't say the same thing about American Werewolf in London, even though it's it's a monster movie. I could probably say that about the thing. That's a pretty, you know, dimensional film. But here... We're talking about media corruption. We're going to talk about brainwashing a little bit later. We got to talk about whatever the fuck's going on at the Catherwood Ray <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interesting elements in play here. And I attribute that to being Cronenberg's a very smart man. Yeah. I think he knows the, what the types of pools he wants to play in. Uh, and kind of this, this first one here, you know, this relationship with Nikki, it kind of goes not South, but like it gets weird because I'm going to go to Pittsburgh. Uh, I hear that's where they broadcast Videodrome. I'm going to audition for it. And as the viewer already kind of like, uh, this might be real. Maybe don't go audition for a show where they kill you on on air. Uh, and so Max is like, don't go there. You don't know what these people are capable of. I don't even know who they are. Uh, but she leaves anyway. I mean, you're not going to stop her. And then that's when Masha comes back and says, Max, I don't think you want to dabble into this Videodrome anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens on there happens for real uh and you know it's it's too dark of a place and too dark of a playground to really kind of get involved with but that curiosity just keeps getting the best of him right is he needs to know where it's coming from how to make it and then how to monetize it Mm -hmm. uh and so the name she gives him is this brian oblivion who he was on the show with and then we go to this homeless shelter that's dubbed the cathode ray mission which as best as I can interpret it, cathode ray are these, you know, they were the rays that would be in tubes of like a tube television, kind of just neutrons firing back and forth to, you know, be able to project the, the images. Uh, the band Rush has a great lyric in one of their songs where they mention, you know, sucking up the cathode rays. I mean, sucking up the, mm-hmm. the television, right? Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, this is a homeless shelter slash church where the homelicks and the derelicts and the scum off the street that low uber ec- lower economic class can come in and get inundated with visual images from the television and maybe as we found out later to course correct them from what with their own brand of brainwashing mm-hmm. for the good good and betterment of mankind because mm-hmm. this Brian oblivion's like one step away from being a Joel Osteen
0: right right
1: Ooh, what's going on here? This is crazy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, when he showed up there at first, I thought, oh, this is like a state-funded soup kitchen. Yeah. And these hungry people show up, but then you get, there's these cubicles, and they're not serving soup or whatever the meal of the day is with, uh, you know, a nice jacket. It's whatever the hell that was image that we see that one guy watching, which I, I wanted yeah. to, I, I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's fleshy and pulsating and not at all, sustenance to sustain you insofar as like food or water would go mm-hmm. my god that's a loaded 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 comment so yeah are we saying then for a guy <laughs> who has the state help him pay for his movies yes it's a bit hypocritical mm-hmm. and kind of a middle finger and maybe why they said that's enough Like yeah. you're out because th- this is just such we can't,
1: a, we can't keep doing this we can't keep fool me th- once fool me thrice fool me yeah quintuple time. Well,
0: i can't pay you to tell you know to tell me to fuck off all the time which mm. is what the he kind of does yeah so if this is a place that's funded by the goodwill of the government for the less fortunate then you're in control of what the government would give you usually you think that's food not in this case like you said test case subjects yeah subjects for brainwashing mm-hmm. literally mk ultra yeah but for, for the betterment of society, I, as determined by, who, this is the question, yeah. as determined by whom? Yeah. Who says who? Yeah. The powers that be that have come up with this nefarious plan to right the wrongs, they're going to decide what's best for him. Aye, aye, aye. Yikes, run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from the the confines of
1: Brian Oblivion's, you know, what he's left behind to his daughter, Bianca, who Max interacts with. I'm very troubled by you know Brian's office, which is very pope-like. It's he's got candles and weird pulpits and just really strange things. And we we know how these people operate; these Jolosteens of the world, right?
0: You mean they're not legitimate?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's that there's there's a faux personality to, to all of them. You are gonna
0: get smitten with lightning. Yeah. Okay. Gods are, no. Yeah. Those are they're assholes.
1: Yeah. It's just it's charlatans. The, the, the monetization of religion is. I, I, I don't know if I can say a more
0: your despi- people's weakness, uh,
1: uh, uh, yeah. Speak on a more despicable thing of you know something that's supposed to bring people together, but now you're bringing them together, but then you're you're paying them a fee, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know he's trying. He, I got to talk to this man. He maybe he can give me some answers on you know what videodrome is, how it's created, whatnot. And you know Bianca kind of pushes him away. You know what kind of tape do you want? And I, I can give you you know some sort of answers from my father. And she plays coy to it. And then, you know, the tape gets delivered the, the, that night. And then this is where stuff starts to get weird. And I wanted to turn to you and be like, Matt, buckle up because it's not going to, you know, get normal from kind of here on out. Yeah. His assistant comes and brings him what I think is very odd, which is his wake up vid- VHS cassette. Yeah. He can't even wake up with a normal alarm clock or a phone call like we do in the normal world. He needs a video ray to wa- wake up his neurons. Because he's so used to it, right? Mm-hmm. He's used to the
0: television. I love that his girl's name is Friday, too. Yeah, his so girl Friday, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. I love it. And so she brings in the tape, and then he has, like, this mad freakout, slaps her across the face three or four times. She, As he thinks it's Nikki. Yeah, morphs from her to Nikki back to her. Oh, I'm sorry I hit you. Oh, gee, you think? But then she's like, what do you mean you're talking about you hit me? So we're like, what's going on with Max here? Is he just, like, imagining, like, all these actions here? And then he plays the tape that was left for him from Brian Oblivion.
2: The battle for the mind of North America will be fought in the video arena, the video drone. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Therefore, whatever appears on the television screen emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. Therefore, television is reality, and reality is less than television. Max, I'm so glad you came to me. I've been through it all myself, you see. Your reality is already half video hallucination. If you're not careful, it will become total hallucination you'll have to learn to live in a very strange new world i had a brain tumor and i had visions i believed the visions caused the tumor and not the reverse i could feel the visions coalesce and become flesh uncontrollable flesh but when they removed the tumor, it was called Videodrome. I was the, I, I was Videodrome's
4: first victim. But who's behind it? What do they want?
3: Who want you, Max? You.
1: Come to me. So, this tape is kind of a word of warning, right? As we're in the middle of a sociopolitic battle for the souls of North America, Canada, US uh, included, uh, for, you know, kind of everything going on there. And it's being fought through the television uh, and tries to tell him. Look, this happened to me. I saw this stuff. It gave me a brain tumor. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave me these hallucinations, which I believe caused this brain tumor uh, that, you know, you know, caused a bunch of body abnormalities and made me do a lot of, like, really crazy shit. Uh, so it's kind of a word of warning. Don't dive too deep into this because you're not going to like the answers that that you find, right? Right. And then sees Nikki on the thing. We got a great kind of visual. You know, we got Rick Baker doing the effects here, Mr. Werewolf himself, Right. And this TV starts pulsating and, you know, you know, James Woods here. I mean, he's doing his best to uh, pleasure the television, mm-hmm. the way he's rubbing the top and the Nikki's moaning on the screen and then kind of emerges through this like kind of cellophane bubble. I thought that looked incredible. I did, too. <laughs> yeah. Making out going down on the television. What's he doing? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> That's a great scene. Mm hmm you know, one of the things I really appreciate about Cronenberg is what he gives you on the screen is the truth. He's not one of these guys that presents a strange idea and then begins to introduce you to an understanding in his world. And then in the second act reversal, that was all a lie. And here's like, what you get from Cronenberg Mm -hmm. is the truth. When Brian Oblivion is telling him that there's no ulterior motive. Yeah. Happened last week with the psychotronics. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing is therapizing these people to the point that this repressed shit comes out of them in the physical manifestations. No tricks, no gimmick part, no yeah. three card monty. What I I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that about Cronenberg yeah. because he introduces you to worlds that you're not familiar with, and it's not fair to do that to the watcher. Yeah, and then, ha ha, gotcha, pull, catfish you, pull the rug
1: out from under them. Yeah,
0: and some people do that really well, but if you're going to do that, you have to like for the the pull the rug out from underneath you only works effectively if they really have come to understand, they being the audience come to understand the point you're trying to make. And as we're getting the ideas of Videodrome given to us in video snippets from Brian Oblivion, and it's very wordy and theoretical and heavy, heavy philosophy and conspiracy theory. I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. that he chooses not to go that route. Yeah. The, the twist Mm -hmm. Second thing about him, and then we'll get back to what you said. Yeah. The movie that I wanted David Cronenberg to make that he never did was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. You take the Red Scare and give him the body dysmorphia horror. And I I like a couple different versions of those films a lot. Yeah. That one in the 1980s with Donald Sutherland, 78. 78. Yeah. That should have been his film.
1: Yeah. It'd be fantastic.
0: But I digress back to this. Jumping in the TV to get the TV off and get you off. And what looks just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. He jumps into her mouth. Yeah. yeah. Her being Nikki. Yeah. yeah. Nikki oh, Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's a good
1: visual done practically. It, it, it looks really good. Uh, I want to play an audio. So there's a fantastic special feature on uh, the Criterion Blu-ray that we watched. Uh, it's called Fear on Film. And it's an interview from, like, I think 1982 with Mick Garris as the moderator, and it's John Landis, John Carpenter, and David Cronenberg oh, talking about their films. And so I want to play the, the first clip about Cronenberg. He kind of talks about, you know, the types of films that, that he likes to make. Uh, uh, I think this is just a, fa- a fascinating, and it helps uh, explicate your point. All right.
5: What do you think really represents your films? Uh, well, you were talking about the exploding head, but uh, uh, in fact, I think it really has... My films tend to be very body conscious. Uh, the, 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 the body and, and what it is and what it does and what it can do tends to be very central in my films. And it was never a conscious thing, but I gradually realized that, that I was more interested in uh, th- things that happen inside you, mentally and physically, than I was in, in, in a kind of exterior... Uh, threat, which is why the, you could, I think, legitimately say that none of my films are monster movies in that sense. In fact, it, it, to a certain extent, you, it, it's your own body that's the monster, there's your a, own existence. There's an image in *Rabbit* that is one of the most frightening things I've ever seen when... Uh, <coughs> The doctor in the middle of surgery goes rabid and slices the nurse's finger. I mean, yeah. that
4: scared me to death. I mean, it was oh, just good. no, but I mean, it was such a
5: remarkable image that mm-hmm. authority figure. You know, well, yeah. that's it, that's exactly the thing. And I mean, it, it, talking about the thing, uh, it, the the uh, the idea that someone close to you. I mean, this the the. The promo for for Rabbit was, you can't trust your mother, you can't trust your neighbor, you know, you can't trust your best friend. One minute they're normal, the next minute they're Rabbit. Uh, The idea, you know, I I don't mean to get very Freudian about it, but the idea that, for example, a parent suddenly wants to destroy its own child uh, is very frightening because a parent is supposed to do exactly the opposite. So that kind of turnaround and and the, the psychological reality behind it and the potential and the possibility of it all is what makes... Uh, is the kind of horror that that I'm interested in. And so it's 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 all very internal. And and the the fact that the shivers in, in Canada is called they came from within here is is it's appropriate. They came from within is exact. Instead of from outer space. I think that's that shows you the orientation that I have when I make films.
1: The internal monster versus <clears throat> the external. Mm-hmm. We see that at play here in this film which is, you know, kind of shown through hallucination and then and then not, because kind of the very next moment that we have here is this rash that Max keeps talking about, and he's kind of playing with it with this gun. And then essentially, this slit just opens up in, in his thing. And as the viewer, you know, that's quite grotesque, right? This just like vagina slit that just opened up yeah. in his stomach, this VHS slot, uh, and puts the gun in, inserts the gun in there, right? For safekeeping. For him, this is an external monstrous aberration to the viewer. This is all up here. Uh, cause you know, we're seeing it through Max's hallucination, but nothing that's not happening. That's there's, there's no reality to those grotesque images. This is all just the, the, the feed of video drum being fed into, into the brain. Mm-hmm. And I like what, you know, we'll get to Barry convicts here in a second. Cause that's a whole nother platform. we got to go down but that's how I've always treated the the hallucinations, the 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 handgun, all these weird, grotesque body uh uh deformations, uh are just all in his head. It's it's all hallucinatory. It's all his visual, you know, manipulating actual reality, which is just it's just a guy with a gun just running around, mm-hmm. uh just being a loon. Um but what do you think of that? And you know, but a little bit about what Mr. Cronenberg's saying there. I
0: think it ties right into what he said. They came from within. Mm-hmm. So the purest form of that would be birth. Mm-hmm. Right, woman birthing child that came from within. Yeah. What I was thinking when he put that gun inside himself is he's letting it gestate into a usable appendage that's part of him when he brings it out. And hearing him say they came from within, Yeah. that's such an appropriate theme and title for what Cronenberg wants to mm-hmm. do when we get his hallucinatory (laughs) images of the gun and essentially the the video cable cords connecting the gun to his hand, it's very alien-like, like like Ridley Scott's alien-like. But it's this bastardized version of the hand that normally uses the gun, but attached to him as one piece. So... Once he's birthed that out, like once it's come forth and he's birthed this gestated, debaucherized, hyper-violent image, Mm -hmm. there's also a commentary on maleness. And you know that I love this theme, Mm -hmm. which is what happens when the power of creation is given to man or male. Yeah, And usually it comes out a very ugly version that's troublesome for everybody that comes into contact with. Flip on that with... You know, like what we expect women to birth into the world, which is n- nurture and on all of this. Mm-hmm. If he puts that, okay, I'm going to use your vagina. If that's the entry, not yours, yeah. <laughs> your your reference to, yeah. If that's the entry point into penetration, and that's where it's taken out of, we are clearly playing in a space that is birth. Mm-hmm. And so when it's birthed, literally takes it out with afterbirth, spilling off of the gun in his hand, dripping all over. Very alien, like probably K.Y. Jelly, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, probably was. Just like (laughs) alien. That's his offspring. Hallucinatory or otherwise, it's even more troubling if it's hallucinatory because that is what this man is fantasizing about, is this gun from within me that is now part of me to carry out whatever piece the flesh new is it, is it the new flesh Yeah. in, in these actions that I have to take against the maker or the father yeah. that impregnated me. Yeah. I mean, we are playing in such a loaded space. Going back to your initial question when we started the show today, mm-hmm. is this movie ahead of its time? Oh yeah. Yeah. By a 30, maybe 30 to 40 years. Yeah.
1: I don't know how you're yeah dis- dissecting all this in 83. There's just, there's just no way to, to do it eloquently.
0: And all of that, the gun that he's taking out and later the videotape that gets put in there and, and all of the things that he stores in his womb. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not even really what the movie's about. Oh, yeah. But it's another huge commentary about this process of what can you get people to think? And then when they think it enough... What does it look like when they buy their own bullshit to the point that that becomes their own truth? Very man who shot Liberty Valance when the legend outlives or when the legend's better than the truth, print the legend or whatever that, that comment is there. I don't know, man. That's, that's really, really loaded. And and if you don't want any of that, yeah, if none of that, that's too deep and I don't want to work that hard in a movie and that's fair. Mm-hmm. It's also really just gruesome to watch. Yeah. There's that piece. To yeah, it. And the sound, it's, it's squelching left and right, <laughs> wet yes. and, and gross. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so then we're going to introduce one of my favorite aspects of. I think this is it's science fiction horror. I think mm-hmm. what this film's dabbling in, but yeah. easily my favorite part of any science fiction film ever is the evil corporation. Oh yeah. So we're going to introduce uh, Skynet, uh, Spectacular Optical, which is uh, Great name. Yeah, Great name. yeah. It's kind of looks like just like an optometry clinic like a Ray-Ban or like a, mm-hmm. one of these like brands uh, making glasses and frames run by this guy named Barry Convex. And we're going to find out that he's responsible for making Videodrome and have kind of just been sending it out to test subjects throughout the globe or the maybe just North America. I don't know. That's never told to us. But they are curious about Max and they they need to kind of get his data in here. So you have this Optometry Clinic as a front for this bigger game, which to my guess is to win the battle of uh, morality in North America, either for uh, probably nefarious intentions. Because think of, think of this, if they can transmit Videodrome on Channel 83 and then eventually make it up to the big networks, right? I mean, you can essentially have these people do whatever you want them to do. You can have them vote the way you want them to vote. You yeah. can have them go out and pillage whatever you want them to do. Yeah. And what this film's going to propose at the end of it is the fail safe is death by suicide. So there's no paper trail. There's no kind of clue breadcrumbs to lead you back to the source, which is spectacular optical. It's good. It's kind of a really great plan.
0: Yeah, good catch by you too.
1: And I think... Uh, there's another piece to it, because I know they're trying to tap into the video market, but they spend a good chunk of time ex- uh, talking about the new spring line of glasses that they're making. All these Gloria Vanderbilt frames or whatever the hell, like these 80s frames, right, that I think uh, his little friend Harlan Patrone is wearing. Yeah. He's wearing some spectacular optical frames. Yeah. If they could find a way to piece this technology into frames, then you're hitting it at the source, right? Mm -hmm. Now it can just go wherever. It doesn't have to be on the airwaves. Right. And it's the lens. It's this thing that you're putting in front of your your
0: eyes. Designed by a guy named Mr. Convex. Yeah. Okay, so Convex is the rounded apparatus Mm -hmm. in the front that allows for clear viewing. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Fuck, that's so loaded too. Yeah, Convex lenses. Jeez, Jesse. Versus concave. Mm Mm-hmm. And this guy's slimy. Like, this guy's got, you can just kind of hmm. tell, I mean, Mr.
1: Yutani over at Wayland, Peter Weyland. Or, mm-hmm. he, he just looks sinister. And he's got this apparatus that you so eloquently put when we were watching. That just looks like a testicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's this weird helmet apparatus that is going to record Max's hallucinations that I guess could be broadcast as another episode of Videodrome. Mm-hmm. Dude, man, what are we doing here? <laughs> we're getting into crazy town. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great visual image, which is actually it's Cronenberg wearing that when they pull back. James Woods was afraid it was going to electrocute him. So Cronenberg's like, I'll do it then. (laughs) So that's Cronenberg sitting there with this apparatus here. And now we got this thing that I think is a pretty cool piece of tech, which is recording visual data and information brainwaves into a visual analog format. Dude, that's awesome. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. But not it's not cool what he what he's no. visualizing. You know, Nikki shows up here he's like, oh, we can get down to Hanky Panky again. And then it it kind of jumps from her on the TV and he's and Max is uh whipping the TV and then it turns into Masha,
0: his little his little assistant there. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the the change in the way he's whipping too. You start slow. A little bit like, ooh, and then by we're You know, by the sixth or seventh whip. Oh, dude, by the end, he's Indiana Jones, man. Right, yeah. (laughs) He's just like... All in, smile on his face, and not holding back at all.
1: And it's it's like a cat of nine tails, right? It's got Uh, the... It probably has the barbs on the end, which... This is the whipping murder room that he's visualizing. I want to know more about that in the world of the unanswered video drum questions, which is like, what was this? Uh, Convex does say like the reason we do it through these torture and murder sequences is it taps into this piece of the brain where we can feed in the the signal to it opens
0: up your pores a bit more. Yeah, there you go.
1: That's the way to think about yeah. it.
0: To put an evil guy
1: to feed you the information, our brain, our brain manipulation information. But it's also so is the cancerous growth. Do you think that's real? Yeah.
0: Okay. Cronenberg doesn't. He doesn't lie. Okay. So. Uh, I firmly believe that Oblivion is the understanding piece of how we come to some knowledge of Videodrome. I don't think he lies. Batman tells you the truth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Batman Forever kind of dabbles into
1: this a little bit with Edward Nigma's brainwave box, which, you know, everyone in Gotham puts a box on their TV and it feeds him knowledge. Mm -hmm. He's essentially sucking all the brainwaves from Gotham and making the Riddler as smart as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I just, it's fascinating pieces of tech. And, you know, once they kind of finish up with 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 Max here, he wakes up. Masha's dead in his bed. Another hallucination. He has this other guy come, Patron, Harlan. And, yeah, there ain't no one in your bed here, but let, let's get down to business. Let's go back to the, the lab and mm-hmm. see what we can find. And that's so where kind of the grand plan is revealed. That Harlan, his pirate buddy, has never watched the video drone footage because he knows how effective it is. And he's been working for Spectacular Optical for a couple of years now, all for like recruiting him. Because I think they've seen Max as like this subject of like, he's already putting this crap on the airwaves. If we can just convince him to put Videodrome on, then we got him, right? Yep. And it's only when he starts digging into it that he's like, he's like oh, it, it starts unraveling. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the plant is already in on
0: him. He's the perfect. He's the perfect mark. Yeah,
1: and so they're gonna they're gonna put a they're gonna put a thing in him. Go uh, t- t- t-
0: t- screen. What do, you
2: want? what do you want from me? I want you to open up, Max. Open up to me.
1: Open up, I'm going to play you a tape. And it's it's a mission to an extent is we want Channel 83, go kill your bosses, have it just be kind of free airways for us, and then we can broadcast our stuff. Now, is Cronenberg making a statement? Because this is where we get that great scene where he reaches back into the slit, pulls the gun out. The gun, like, melds to his hand in a very Geiger fashion. Is he trying to make some sort of commentary that those who indulge in violence like this will therefore birth violence? Is violence hereditary to an extent?
0: Yeah, I think it is does say that. It's interesting. The woman in the beginning of the movie that is hosting the show poses that same question. Mm -hmm. Is this exposure going to further these efforts and create this behavior in people? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I'm doing a public service. I'm letting them get it out in a healthy way so they don't actually act upon it themselves.
1: And, you know, there's some truth to that, right? And it's Westworld, right? Go go be debaucherous elsewhere and then go back and live your normal nine to five, right? And Give them an avenue to play. It's it's why I thought the idea for the purge
0: was amazing Mm -hmm. and the execution could not be more dog shit. Oh, yeah. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. This is as old as time in conflict, internal conflict, right? The duality in mankind, the good versus bad in you. So if you can release the good for just one night and you have 360 or 364 of or one bad, 364 of good, Mm -hmm. I probably would sign up for that in Mm -hmm. theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the Wolfman. That is Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. That is any transformation that allows you to engage in that activity, but hopefully you can return to your normal good self once you get it, literally get it out of you. Think of that. It comes from within. Yeah. He's got to get it out of him. Yeah, and when he does, it looks like he's birthed a gun. Mm-hmm.
1: Ugh.
0: Yeah, his yeah, this, little his this, little vagina safe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Save
0: hey, for later. He's like a marsupial man. Uh, and let's be honest about that. Cronenberg mm-hmm. is not shying away no, no, from no, no. what he if, wants that to look like. Hey, it is clear as the day what if he's it, doing. If there.
1: it's a vagina, if it looks like a vagina, it's supposed it to be a vagina. Mm-hmm. If it looks like a penis, it's going to be a penis. It it we, shoots bullets we, out, we out of the
0: peepee <laughs> hole. <laughs> That was crazy.
1: <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Uh, so this thing, yeah, molds to his hand, and it's very just crude and gross and slimy and dripping, and he's and he's just getting – he's hearing – we're hearing voiceover of what they're telling him to do, the brainwashing aspect. Yeah. Uh, which is all – again, remember, audience, I think my – this is all bullshit, all, the, all that visual that didn't happen, but the brain manipulation, this tumor that's feeding him info – that's real. Right. Because when he w- rolls into Civic TV, I mean, his hand's fine. It's
0: got jump, it's just he just numbers. rolls
1: in with a regular gun and shoots these guys like some sort of crazy person. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was pretty troubling, too. It's just like shooting them, and then he's able to kind of scamper away really quickly onto the streets and then back to the cathode ray yeah, where, you know, Bianca's playing her own little interesting long con and living out her father's work, which is... You're kind of. She's like you. You came to kill me. You're an agent for them now, aren't you? Like you're doing their bidding. This is this is their whole plan, right? And it looks like he's about to kill her. And then she has one up on him where she unveils this sheet and has the video drone footage of Nikki Brand's on-screen murder, which totally spins him out, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of sets him straight a little bit, and kind of tells him, yeah, they killed her. You know, just the same way that they do with everyone else. Disposable trash, yeah. nonetheless, right? Sheesh. Uh, And so, you know, here's our own manipulation. This is where, yeah, the gun, we got to kill this version of Max to rebirth a better version of him, a good version of him, a freedom fighter, if you will. Yeah. And out comes this penis gun through the television. Again, it's all done through the TV. The TV is the conduit that drives everything, or a VHS tape. And this thing shoots him, kills him. It looks like he's dead, and then rises up, no bullets, and... This is like her own bit of brain manipulation that they do at the cathode ray, which is, you know, if we're going to use this TV and live our world through the television set, we're going to do some
0: some good with it. Mm-hmm. He is right.
1: It's nefarious, but it's a little bit more well-intentioned than spectacular optical.
0: Yeah, all of these motives are murky, though, aren't they? Mm-hmm. The kind of just manipulation just has an air of murkiness, even if it's intended to be positive, and it's just... Here's the thing also that I really love about this. Who's our good guy in this film? It's it's by default, Max. Mm-hmm. Boy, you want to talk about feet of clay and questionable motives also. He's this capitalizing on the misfortune of others, terrible TV producer, sh- slick, mm-hmm. schmarmy, way too familiar with how to work women. He's, that's our good guy? Oh, my gosh. There's elements of noir in this and that... You do not have anything remotely resembling a Boy Scout. And Debbie Harry, essentially, Nikki, is a pretty effective femme fatale, especially when she's on the TV seducing him over and over to stick one more set of eyes on one more program. Yeah. So, yeah, the
1: you know the goal of Spectacular Optical is to kind of – all these people obsessed with overstimulated sex and violence, they're going to watch video Videodrome, they're going to get this tumor, they're going to do some crazy stuff, and then they're going to kill themselves, Right. Or essentially, they could flip it on its head, and like I said, they could just have them do whatever if they, you know, plug in the right cathode ray into their into their into their brain here. But now he's kind of the role of freedom fighter, and now so he goes to spect- spectacular optical again. He kills Harlan, but it's because Harlan. Sticks his hand in the slit with this other tape, and then you know out comes this like grenade hand mm. thing. <laughs> it's yeah. very strange. Which again, I think is all just hallucination. You just, I just think, just Max blows this guy up or, or shoots him away. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Just blows him away. Yeah, and it's pretty. And this is where we get that moment where the mother and daughter walking on the street. I want to go see it. <laughs> it's so silly. But you know they're they're getting ready for their next phase of plan, which I believe is this glasses launch, the Medici line. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Is there anything there in terms of like Renaissance and like
0: civilization? Like are like we restarting from anew new somewhere? Well, when I think of the Med- Medici's or Medici's, I think of the battle between the church and the freedom of art. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could go down that road if you want to probably come to something, but I think you're heading down a 35, 40-minute conversation if we want to go down there. But he didn't choose that name for the way it rolls off the tongue. That's a loaded family name to use.
1: Well, I think, yeah, the Cathode Ray is a a version of the church, right? Yeah. This weird version of the church. And, yeah, it's, yeah, the freedom of art, you know, through media, media influence. Yeah, I I do believe there's something there. Sure. But he doesn't have time to get into it because here here comes Max with his handgun, his hand cannon.
0: Well, what's even weirder is this celebration mm. that he attends. Yeah. What is that? I mean, I know it's like the iPhone rollout and we're going to have a big dinner to do it, but there's these weird dancing girls and this very weird uh renaissance like skit. Yeah. That that whole thing is
1: Pretty, so weird. Bizarre.
0: Yeah, I mean, the guy just should get up there, have a nice dinner, and give his speech. But instead, it's this whole pomp and circumstance and all these events continue to be weird. Is that even really happening? Well, is, that's that really the, happening is that really happening? Or is that hallucination too? I
1: think that's happening. And I, I think there's a political angle to bury convicts that we don't get to really dive too much into. Like, what's his long con in the end? Is, is he running for office somewhere? Yeah. Like, is he running for some sort of, like, COO of some media conglomerate? Like, what is his... Long game, other than to just clean up cultural decay. Yeah, there's something else going there because he does present himself as a bit of a showman in that in that instance. Sure. But he doesn't have time because he's assassinated on stage. And to the hallucination aspect, ooh, it is pretty gruesome. I mean, he gets like the total recall treatment
0: here. The cauliflower <laughs> spills out everywhere on him.
1: Oh, gross, man! Like, yeah, his intestines, his head splits, stuff comes out. He's got juices coming everywhere. Yeah, you know, Rick Baker went to town on this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> and then after that, I think, you know, to the public's perception, Max Wren is just this like uh mass shooter who's just going around Toronto or Ontario killing everybody. Well, Toronto is Ontario, right? Yeah. That's the province. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going around here just shooting everybody. And so he just scampers off to this like derelict dock, gets into a chantate of a, yeah. of a, a, a ship. Condemned ship. And then hallucinates this television right in the in the middle of the thing there. And there's Nikki saying, and th- this is where I think the the end game of Videodrome is, is that after we have these people go insane and do mm-hmm. crazy shit, they won't tie it back to us if we like, tell them the next veil of the flesh is to kill yourself. Yeah. And life after this is what this looks like, which is just, it's death, right? Mm-hmm. And so she shows them it. She shows them the vision of it. And then we see it play out and- you want to talk about a grim ending that is a confusing B doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And B is not uplifting in the slightest. Mm -mm. We cut to black at like a hour and 26 minutes,
0: (laughs) which felt every bit of story-wise two hours.
1: Yeah.
0: And I don't mean in a bad way. Like, I mean, there's a lot of info. He does a great job of getting in late, getting out or getting in, yeah. Getting in late, getting out early and packing the 88 minutes Mm -hmm. with, what feels like two ten of film in today's cinematic experience—you got to give him credit on that.
1: Yeah, and the when when the when the TV version shoots itself, all these intestines and innards mm-hmm. shoot out, and I think they would use like lamb guts and like a bunch of gross. Uh, apparently, it smelled awful on this set. Eesh. It was really gross, and you know, hot with the lights, so it just the smells weren't amazing. Uh, and I think it was really cool because I think they did it around, like, Christmas time. So, like, Canada Christmas with, you know, guts in a closed set. Yeah, dude, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's a brave ending. It's, I think, an ending only Cronenberg could do. You know, think of how he's kind of ended films in kind of a downtrodden kind of fashion. I mean, the brood kind of ends with, oh, it's just going to start over again with the daughter. Oh, how does, a uh, how does Rabbit end? Oh, Marilyn Chambers. I mean, she she thought we're gonna put her in the in the trash. The Fly. I mean, The Fly self commits suicide right through mm-hmm. Gina Davis. And there's not really a good uplifting ending in any of these movies, other than like you it's fall. Over. You fall it, at least it's over. You fall victim to these monstrous forms. These these things that drive you ultimately insane. I think for all these people. Yeah. Yikes! Uh, I have a couple a couple things here for you. Uh, I, I did mention, yeah, this was the last Cronenberg film made with Canadian financing. Uh, it was his first film to be backed by a major studio, Universal. So there, I think his name had gotten around like, hey, we, let's see what this Cronenberg guy is all about. And so then they give him a budget of $6 million, and it only makes $2 million gross in its run. So a bit of a bomb there, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's hard to dissect this one. It's just, it just, It's We said it before, it doesn't feel of its time. It feels a little too smart. Uh yeah, I could see people walking out of this movie, just being like, I don't even know what's going on here.
0: Absolutely walking out of yeah. this movie. sure, Or leaving and just like, I'm not going to recommend my friends go see video drama. 1983, when he stuffs his head in the TV amidst an orgasmic mouth from Debbie Harry, people are running for the exits. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way they stuck around.
1: Yeah, that's wild. But, you know, I think he still had enough good, good, good grace to his name that he was, you know, still given... Maybe that's why, you know, he did King next. You know, King, the dead zone was a name. Mm -hmm. We go see Stephen King's. Do you like that movie? The dead zone. It's, 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 it's it's got its moments. Yeah. Uh, I bet if we dive back into that after being in the Cronenberg headspace, I bet we we would find a lot to appreciate about it. I bet you're right. But then the fly is the one that, you know, really kind of helps solidify. I was like, oh no, this guy can handle a, a big budget with the studio backing and deliver a very competent product. Uh, he did turn down. This would have been fascinating. In what reality would this ever work? He turned down the chance to direct Return of the Jedi? <laughs> wow. Can you imagine? Uh-uh. So in in 82, you know, post-Empire, you know, they have the story for Jedi, and I think they, he asked Spielberg, and he was like, eh, no, no thank you, George. Well, come on, Steven, you want to do my movie, don't mm-hmm. you? I know David Lynch's name was tossed about mm-hmm. for Return of the Jedi and Cronenberg. Holy cow! Like I, in my blockbuster in heaven, I get to watch those two movies because Cronenberg's
0: not giving us Ewoks. <laughs> He's giving us a vagina monster, full blown Wookies, man. Wookie carnage.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? I just and I, I can tell why he didn't do it because he, he felt uncomfortable adapting someone else's material. He's very, very much you know and a writer director, this is my idea. And I see it through to the finish line and Lynch is the same way. Yeah. I have my own vision and it doesn't meld with the world you've set up. In fact, it clashes with it quite a bit. Indeed. But you know, Lynch went and did Dune and I guess that was the, the fallback. You know, that movie is not fantastic, but maybe, maybe, maybe in a weird way. Cause you know, to me, return of the Jedi is quite pedestrian in terms of its mm-hmm. vision. Mm hmm. It's very much a, fil- get this thing to the finish line and let's wrap up this trilogy. I can't tell you one thing about Richard Marquand.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. But I can tell you a lot about David Lynch and David Cronenberg. Sure, <laughs> right. Yeah, think about that. Richard Marquand yeah. got that flagship Let's just finish it. That's just a yes, man. Get this thing done, man. Yeah. We got to be. We have to move on. Mm-hmm. Sure
1: thing, George. George
0: Lucas is driving everybody crazy. Get mm-hmm. this thing across the finish line. Let's go. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I thought you'd, I thought you'd like that. It was just, I just, I can't imagine. I want to see that. Film. Oh yeah, I do too. Absolutely. Uh, but I'm going to play one more audio clip from that same interview. And Cronenberg's going to talk a little bit about censorship and how, you know, his films, when he would deliver them to the ratings board, you know, they'd be like, just cut up to pieces. They get, get an X, right?
5: David, you've also had problems as far as X and R ratings in your film. Scanners was originally an X? Well, every picture that I've done was, has originally gotten an X here in the States. But, uh, but you have to understand that I live in Ontario, Canada, which used to be the most <coughs> liberal province and now is the most restrictive. Right. So I have to agree, or, or, or let, let me amplify what John was saying. Uh, when I came down here to, to talk to the MPAA about ratings, it was still a relief Compared with what happens in, in Ontario, which wow. is that they take your picture, they take every print, and they cut it, and they hand it back to you, and they say, this is your new movie. They keep the, the pieces that they've taken out, and you go to jail for two years if those are projected, if you put the pieces back. And that's real censorship. And yeah. So what you've got here, however imperfect it may be... Uh, at least it's, it, you know, you still have the option of releasing the film as an ex, and of course there are huge economic sanctions against doing that, and usually you have a contractual obligation not to have an ex. Nonetheless, if you really want it to be an ex, you can still get it shown here in in, in Canada, you go to jail. Yep. So, I would say that that you know, I, I think what you need here is another uh, category, you know, something like 14 and over or something, because I I agree with, with John that that uh, I wouldn't want, a th- I, I, when Shivers, which here was called They Came From Within, was first shown here, I drove down to Buffalo just to see it in another country. And I was really quite upset to see someone bringing a three-year-old girl in to see this film. And I had a mm-hmm. three-year-old daughter at the time. And I didn't think that the kids should see the movie. Uh, and obviously, left to adults and uh, you know parents and guardians, it's just not going to work. And and that's one of the reasons that they're being very tough with handing out our ratings here, is because they know that kids are going to get to see these movies with or without parents. If you had a, a serious restriction against anybody, say, 13 or 14 and under, seeing this movie at all, but above that age, they could go to see it by themselves... That would be, and you had that as a separate category, which they have in one of the provinces in in Canada. That
1: I think NC seventeen Cronenberg speaking PG thirteen before it even happened, right? Mm -hmm. It's crazy, right? Yeah. If you project your cut
0: footage, you'll go to jail for two years (laughs) on a film that the government helped you finance.
1: Exactly, no, it's crazy. That's what. It's wild. Yeah. So they're okay with funding the initial idea, but then mm-hmm. once they get – maybe this helps answer some of our questions of, like, what did those screenings look like? And I was like, uh, cut some of that out, but then that can never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. We're just going to toss that in the trash. No, give me those juicy deets, man. I got to see that footage. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot of creativity that goes into it, because it's always the gore scenes, right? It's always these gruesome moments where, you know, and there's a lot of craft that goes into trying to horrify and, you know –
0: make people uncomfortable. Well, and he hits another important point there. Yeah. There's responsibility. And we can this is not the parental responsibility podcast cuz where does that start and stop? Mm-hmm. What are you doing taking a 3-year-old to anything that has his name you, like you're in come on. Yeah. You didn't Oh, I thought this was Mary Poppins. Yeah. So that's part of the problem. Yeah. People
1: are idiots. Even though he he says all that and, you know, maybe there's an in-between rating. No. New video drums still getting an R. Yeah, <laughs> still getting an R. Yeah. Man, this is a pretty uh, extreme movie in in a lot of places, and I, I love I love hearing uh, we did it with Nolan, right? You know, just letting him talk talk through your process of how how you kind of decipher like what you're presenting on the screen, and you know Cronenberg's kind of the same way. They're smart dudes making movies. Like they, oh, he's so smart. I think they, tell. and I think they understand story and psychological conflict first, and then you know get that onto a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Nolan's probably more successful in like putting that up on the screen, right? Yeah. Uh, but man, this Cronenberg guy—he knows a thing or two. This Cronenberg guy. <laughs> Uh, I wonder about his offspring. I wonder if they know a thing or two. But let's uh, get uh, oh, our, our questions. Here we go. What's your favorite uh, moment, uh, tasting note, scene, sequence of Videodrome?
0: I think the withdrawal of the gun from the innards of, of Max. Yeah. We looked at each other and both kind of went, ooh, like, geesh. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mine was the first time he put the gun
1: into the slit when he's sitting on the couch there he's toying with it and i i like that it's set up a little bit earlier that oh, i got this weird rash and like oh, i can't you know it's just, oh, what are you doing here uh she's kind of just writing it off until he's like just kind of toying with it and then it open it reveals itself and then like that kind of i think that's because he's actually standing up and walking around with his hand in the slit on his abdomen mm-hmm. and it looks pretty great you know to rick baker's credit i mean there's some really i, I don't know if these aren't like american werewolf like oscar worthy effects but this is like Mm-hmm. Still pretty good work that he's uh uh providing across the the finish line here. I'm curious what you have for though.
3: Oh my god.
0: Moment of video drum. You know, for all of the shock images in there, you know what was really difficult for me to watch was him piercing her ears. <laughs> I you
1: were gonna say him
0: <laughs> dunking that pizza crust in his coffee. That was pretty gross. <laughs> uh god, yeah. it almost looked like that really happened. Yeah.
1: You okay with needles or? No. Needles a little icky for you? Tough, yeah. yeah. You? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm all right with them. Are you? I mean, I don't want to be, I don't know if you ever remembered Saw Two when uh, mm-hmm. Shawnee Smith gets plunged into a pit <laughs> of hypodermics. Ooh. I don't want that, but it, I, I can deal with the uh, just regular needles. But I don't know if I want an unsanitary one piercing my earlobe no. that James Woods has licked clean. I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, that's pretty, yeah. It's, you know, it's a simple moment. It's nothing overly gruesome about that other than, like, just the kind of taboo sexual games that they're playing. I was just like, mm. can we just do this, missionary? Yeah, let's just <laughs> can, get down to normal sex like regular gotta, people. Why do we got to make it weird, man? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I... <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, uh, my, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, my, my, Oh my God. And this probably goes back to the first time I saw it because it was almost ventured into a slight Poughkeepsie tapes territory for me. I think the first time you see the Videodrome transmission come through of what is this really about? You got guys in like dungeon attire in a wet and clay environment that it does. It de- looks like something out of Hellraiser, like Clyde Barker summoned to this imagery whipping this naked woman She's screaming, but it's like the throes of ecstasy and pain, and it's all scrambled, and it, it definitely feels like found footage, stuff you're not meant to see. Uh, I think that really kind of spun me out the first time I saw it. I was like, well, what's that even going to be about? And, you know, almost that almost becomes a MacGuffin of the entire movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really dive too much into, you know, the production history of the Videodrome broadcasts. But that's the one I'm going to go with. Good choice. Who's the master distiller on Videodrome?
0: And James Woods is really good in this film. That's
1: pretty good. He would make my list with this
0: one. Yeah, I'm going to go with him. Obviously, we're in the Cronenberg cast, so there's a nod to him anyway. But James Woods, because I I don't know where else I'm going to give it to him, but Mm -hmm. he's really good in this film. Really good in this kind of hateable, yet semi-lovable good bad guy at the same time.
1: Yeah, I got to go Cronenberg again. Two weeks in a row. I mean, I think this is another fantastic I don't want to call it high concept, but I think it's high philosophy idea at play here in a very non accessible way to receive that information.
0: Any consideration to Harry? Deborah Harry. I
1: think she's pretty good in this too. I do. I don't think that's a bad musical actor performance. Yeah. Uh, I think Rick Baker's effects are pretty good. I think the music by Howard Shore is very, uh, you know, ethereal Mm. and bizarre. We'll play a little bit more of that here in a second, but Kronenberg's doing an interesting thing here and just, you know, making like what he thinks is a horrifying notion of like, man, what if you found a pirated video station that was showing real people getting killed? And I think that's the the genesis of the idea at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And his execution's pretty good. I think for the most part, there's nothing, again, like you said, it's not going to like beat the thing or some of these other horror icons in terms of like, memorability or iconography, but the ideas at play here will spin you out for weeks. we will be, you and I will be thinking about Videodrome going into next week. Yeah. 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 No doubt. How are you going to rate and grade Videodrome? Our rating system based all around liquor and types. We have rock gut, the worst of the worst, you know, uh, suicide squad, (laughs) Morbius, (laughs) uh, we have well, you know, all right, but you know, you'll never watch it again. Or if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have turned it off. Mm. Uh, Call, you know, standard cinema, filmography. It's a lot of what we see in the cinema right Mm -hmm. now, right? Uh, Except for a few other uh, films. Uh, Single Barrel, the unique of the unique. uh, Just like many single barrel whiskeys, they're one of a kind. And then Top Shelf, the best of the best.
0: Where are you going this week? I think by that rating system, this has to be Single Barrel for me. This is a really unique film. Mm -hmm. Anything that is as far ahead of itself as it is in its initial run. So contemporary when it's done in real time, yet holds and evolves another contemporary narrative 25 to 30 years later, maybe it's luck. Yeah. Or maybe it's, he found a theme that is so troublesome. It just evolves and hides like a chameleon from decade to decade. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I can't say that I I didn't like this as much as I liked rabbit or as much as I liked the film last week. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really unique. It's very well done. It is very perplexing. There's a lot to think about and go through. And I think I would probably consider doing that again with the brood. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm in a hurry to watch this film again. Because as much as I, like, uh, top shelf's a nice, or a single barrel's a nice grade. Yeah. I don't know if I loved it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's challenging. It's, uh, I'll I'll be honest. I mean, I think this one does
1: need a couple viewings to really kind of hammer in some of its ideas uh yeah
0: guy knows what he's doing making a film though you -hmm. know david Cronenberg knows exactly what he's doing and i've got to give him a lot of love for that
1: excellent i think i'm also single barrel on this one too it's yeah a very unique film that feels oddly contemporary uh as it was to 1983 just different forms of media and it's just they just continue to evolve and just be more precipitous on you know how they they prey on our overindulgence on them Mm -hmm. too much screen time, right? Too much blue light. I mean, we're in front of computers nearly all day. And then we leave those computers at our jobs. And then we put a phone in front of our face or the television. Uh, we don't use cathode ray tube TVs anymore, but you know, we're getting all that info in so many other places in apps and, uh, various different formats. So yeah, I think it's a pretty uniquely made film. Uh, I'm with you. It's, uh, Maybe it's my second favorite Cronenberg film. Really? Yeah. Uh, just because uh, much like, you know, some of Nolan's films that we talked about, it was like, this film's work. This film, you need to kind of go back to the well and kind of like listen to some things and see how they did certain aspects. There's a great commentary track on the thing between James Woods and Debbie Harry. It's a great listen mm. um, about, you know, making the film. But yeah, this, is, this isn't an easy watch. It's, it's like I said, non-accessible uh, in terms of, you know, it's intentions. Uh, and I think there's an art to that. Uh, that, that that idea will turn off a lot of people. The, the normal everyday average Joe and Jane crowd that go to the theater to see Grant, (laughs) they don't have the stomach for video drone. There's no way that it's just like, they, they can't, they, they don't have the, the commitment to, you know, invest in in something like that.
0: And that panel that you played the sound from Landis, Carpenter and Mm Cronenberg. Which of those three do you think is most palatable for the average Joe public moviegoer? I know he, he, it's obviously not Cronenberg. Probably Landis. I kind of agree. Yeah. Landis. Yeah. Then
1: Carpenter, then Cronenberg. What's fantastic about that interview. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's about 26 minutes. Carpenter sitting in the middle of those two guys smoking. He's just puffing away and they they come and ask him a question here and there. And it almost looks like I don't give a fuck.
0: (laughs) Probably doesn't give a fuck.
1: It's so great. I just I love the man because he he has his own unique vision and what things that scare him. And he's just like, yeah, I don't care. It was like, yeah, you're talking. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Interesting guy. Very interesting personality. Uh, my favorite director of all time, ladies and gentlemen, is just, I would love to ask him about his movies, but he would probably tell me to just go pounce Probably would. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: what was that? I going to say? One more thing uh, about Videodrome. Palatable for the public, not palatable for the public. First viewing, leaving. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. yeah it's just, yeah, it's, it's work. work.
1: It's, it's very much like David Lynch. I mean, if you watch a Lynch film. Yeah. On one viewing, and you come away going, "I'm never watching something like that again." You're doing a disservice to yourself because his films, more than Cronenberg's, I think you got to go back to the well five, oh, six, seven, yeah. eight times. Like you're not going to pick up everything. You got to like fully invest yourself into the world of that man and like what he's offering. And you know, I think Cronenberg offers some of that too. And I, here's my final question I have for you: Maybe we'll do this film one of these days, just because it's such a hot button issue for us, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think it was a mistake for Cronenberg to kind of get away from these types of ideas and films once he got into the history of violence years and all the stuff with Vigo and Easter Promises and Cosmopolis Mm. and Dangerous Method? And I know that's about Freud and Carl Jung, but it's it's less this. It's less body dysmorphia and it's more thrillers. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're less horror. What do you think about that? You know, every filmmaker can definitely mature.
0: Yes. In short, yes. Mm-hmm. But we would have to get into why. Yeah. <laughs> There's not. Yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so, too. I think maybe, you know, play to your strengths, play play to what you, you do pretty well. And I, I just that's my problem with history of violence it just gets too far away from it doesn't feel like a David Cronenberg movie. No. At the end of the day, it feels like. A co- that, that movie feels like a Coen Brothers movie. It totally feels
0: like a Coen Brothers movie. And
1: Cronenberg is... You know, Crash might be the last, like, really true example of that type of filmmaking. Because mm-hmm. even Naked Lunch with Peter Weller, Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons, mm-hmm. like, all those films feel like this.
0: Yeah. I like, the, I like Dead Ringers a lot. Oh, yeah. That that film's great. Mm-hmm.
1: Double dose of Jeremy Irons? Dude, that's like heaven for me. Yep, ching. <laughs> But, hey, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Okay, I thought it'd be pretty fun, you know, being that video drums all about, you know, video, VHS tapes. At one point, James Woods uh, puts a tape into this VHS player that I loved. I was like, how could I get that? Uh, probably like on eBay, but also how much did it cost? I was like, that probably cost him $2,000 when it came out, right? Yep. The, the world of home video, I think I'm just very fascinated by it, just how it like evolved and, you know, You know, it wasn't just so readily available and it was uber expensive. So it was for like the, like the, 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 the super rich Mm -hmm. and then got more, you know, a little more uh, consumer friendly, but you and I grew up in that heyday of VHS tapes and I'm sure we owned a lot. So the question is your top three favorite VHS tapes that you had while growing up.
0: I'm going to do what we did by favorite and also viewing the amount of views. Mm -hmm. So checking in at number three on that is Hoosiers. God, we used to watch Hoosiers all the time. Yeah. Still love that film today. But uh, that was one of them. I think I might have even worn it out to the point where I stopped watching because I just broke it. (laughs) Broke the tape? Yeah. Yeah, did you ever have, like, the tape just, like, get all,
1: like, jumbled in the machine? That was always a pain in the ass, right? Yep. Kind of always thought the tape was toast. But that happened a couple times. My dad was able to salvage some of the tapes, so... That's good. Uh, Number three for me. Dude, Matt, this is going to blow your mind. How could this ever appear on any list we have ever done? But my number three is Look Who's Talking. Oh, wow. (laughs) We had that tape floating around our house, and I don't know who bought it in my household, but I used to watch the hell out of that tape. And the opening scene of that film, ladies and gentlemen, is Kirstie Alley and George Segal having sex. And then a bunch of spermies floating down to an egg. And I had no idea what was going. What's going on? To, they're doing they're floating down to the beach boys. I get around. I get around. Mm. But I loved it. I loved that movie. That Talking Baby by Bruce Willis. Uh man, that's that's probably a pretty rock gut film, uh, in my estimation. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell you how many times I watched Look Who's Talking. Like that was in full rotation. One of my favorite VHSs growing up. Good one. <laughs> When was right. the last
0: time you thought about that series? Never. <laughs> That's a good one, Jesse. Thank wow. You, thank you. Number two for me actually is Gremlins. Mm. We had a tape of Gremlins that I used to love. Um, that movie had an H well. I tried to show it to Ava not too long ago and didn't play well, but yeah. I loved it back as a kid. Loved it.
1: It's got an interesting, uh, you know, Joe Dante made he made that film, and then he kind of essentially remade it in the 90s with Small Soldiers. Did you ever see that one? Mm-hmm. With, I did. Uh, Phil Hartman and mm-hmm. uh, Tommy Lee Jones is the voice of the show. It's the, it's the exact same plot as gremlins, but with toys. Yeah. Um, great choice. What do you think of that scene? The scene that always trips me out in gremlins is it's a pretty Spielbergian film, but man, that scene in the middle when Phoebe Cates has to tell this sob story on how her dad died in the chimney, pretending to be Santa Claus.
0: Yep. Dude, what is that doing in that movie? It's <laughs> so sad. It's, and then I love that as it went further, they made a joke out of that, continued to like play on that going forward, like comedically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great great choice. Dying to hear your number two. My number two, uh, a very special film for me, just in terms of my, you know, I love to buy still to this day, I buy movies, dozens of, you know, copies of Halloween, physical media galore. Uh, But like the first that really kind of got me in like a collecting mood where I kind of felt I was collecting a set was uh, my tape of GoldenEye. Uh, the first Pierce Brosnan and James Bond. And up on the tippy top of it was, it had a, a banner that said the James Bond 007 collection. And so all the tapes in this collection were all uniform. And they had a like a picture at the top, uh, the back of the box with a quote from the film and then the credits and the blurb. But they had one for each of the releases uh, prior to that. So you could have all these tapes lined up and it would look like a complete set. Interesting. The only other one I got was uh, The World Is Not Enough another Pierce Brosnan went in the after that, I, I got the full DVD set of all twenty of them, but that was kind of got me and I was like, oh, these things will look pretty good if they're on the shelf together. Yeah. So collecting like the whole franchise, uh, love Goldeneye. Uh, it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite Bond films. Uh, I have a soft spot for Mister Brosnan in there, but uh, really like that tape. Good. I still own all these tapes too,
0: uh, by the way. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Number 1 for me is an Eddie Murphy flick. Mm. And I'd like to tell you it's one that is slammed dunk cuz I know you want me to tell you Beverly Hills Cop. Is it The Golden Child? It is. Oh, nice. It's The Golden Child. <laughs> Man is late elementary early middle school kid. I loved that terrible mm. film. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Golden Child. The, sec- the
1: second you said I wish I could tell you it was a <sighs> good Eddie Murphy movie, I knew it was Golden Child.
0: Because Vamp- <laughs> Vampire in Brooklyn, I would never buy that. Yeah. So you had to know. Yeah. Damn, huh?
1: Yeah. Late 80s, uh, Eddie Murphy, kind of at the height of his powers, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, he could do no wrong and then kind of did wrong. Did terrible. That's like the big trouble in Little China that didn't work, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Golden Child. Interesting, man. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. Oh, that, that'd be a fun one to, to revisit on why it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> he might be fun to do himself. Oh, yeah. Eddie Murphy would be fun to do.
1: Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Uh, Coming to America, speaking of Mr. Landis, mm-hmm. we could find another one in there. Yeah. Bowfinger? Do you like Bowfinger? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Shrek, but hell no, dude. No. <laughs> Can't do Shrek. We could find another Eddie Murphy kind of staple in there. Mm-hmm. That that could be a lot of fun, actually.
0: We could even do something contemporary that he just did. Mm-hmm. What's that one that he just did with um, Jonah Hill? Oh, that was awful. You People? Yeah. Oh, that
1: was a bad movie. That yeah. was a really bad movie. Uh. Excellent choice. Uh, I love, I love, I love your listing. Golden child. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Everything that would make the list, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. My number one, you could see this come in 10 miles away, but it's what got me into movies. It's my tape of Batman 89. So so much. We had two tapes of that in the house. One of them got destroyed. I think I did it. Uh, while I was playing, the tape just got mangled up, you know, while I was doing something. And then we had to get the backup one. Thankfully, But I played that tape to death. And it's, you know, why I love the character. It's why I really like that. Go listen to that episode on it. But that's kind of the movie that got me into into movies. It was the most rotated VHS of my entire childhood. And probably is the most seen film of my existence. So It's a good one. And it's a great because it's much like the poster. I mean, there's no title on the VHS box that says Batman. It's just that symbol, right? You know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's two pictures on the back of, you know, Keaton and then one of him where he's got Jack are face to face. Uh and that's it. Good one. Yeah. To your list. Did you own that tape cuz I feel like I a lot of people had that one? Did you have the ET tape that had the green head? Yep. The green like top? Yep. Uh what about Titanic? Did you have t- the 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 double tape Titanic?
0: Yes. Okay. We do have that.
1: And what about uh you know star wars you know obviously did, what, what version did you have did you have like uh kind of an unaltered pre-special mm-hmm. edition version of that yes i did okay yep yeah i had one version of that uh and then i have the one that was in heavy rotation was unfortunately the special edition mm-hmm. gold box version uh
0: and then i had the indiana jones one that, that, that got a lot of play as well but yeah, I wish I could name either any of those films instead of the Golden Child because that just is such a, a mm-hmm. better selection. But yeah, we spent God, I spent countless days in the summer. Yeah, watching that AM and PM. Gonna watch the Golden Child again. Ugh. Yeah, me and my brother both. We both love that film. Mm-hmm. I I guess it's sometimes it just, you know, you
1: know, what's great about that. I bet if you watched it again, I bet all of that stuff would just, you would probably know every line, mm -hmm. every moment it would all come flooding back to you. I'm kind of doing a little of that this week uh, on HBO or max uh, with Billy Zane's the phantom.
0: Mm.
1: It was another movie. I rented a ton. I never owned it. I rented it a ton and watched it on HBO a ton growing up and I haven't seen it in probably about 10 years. Every moment, I remember every line, every what happens next, uh, Mm -hmm. Treat Williams uh, villain uh, mustache trolling thing. We've talked uh, frequently about doing like a 90s superhero cast with like that, the shadow and like the rocket. The rocket. Ooh, Darkman. There you go. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Because those are great ideas, but like I don't think the execution, other than Darkman, I think is, you know, just a a weird entry, but like they kind of didn't like achieve like what they wanted to. Which was Batman, right? Right, Batman. Yeah, because that's all we had. I mean, you, you kids today are spoiled with all your Ant-Man's and you know your five Thor sequels. Like yeah, I had a bet a couple Batman movies and the the Phantom. <laughs> I had right. Billy Zane in my pocket. <laughs> and that was it. But... Alec
0: Baldwin in the Shadow. Yeah. Film. Oh, that's. I rented it so much. I I, <laughs> I love
1: the Shadow. Yeah. But if you haven't seen the Phantom in a while, give it a watch, and we could talk about it on that episode, dude. What the not career of Billy Zane? Stick was so close. He's got some leading man material. He's got he's got some presence in that. Yes, he does. Catherine Zeta Jones is in that. Mm-hmm. Christy Swanson's the the lead female, James Remar, and then Treat Williams, who just died a few months ago. He's the bad guy. He's really good in that movie. He's really good in it. He's selling me hard on the Phantom. Yeah, buddy. yeah. I mean, we had to do a Phantom viewing tonight. Yep. Uh, but that's a, a wrap on Videodrome from 1983. I think this is currently streaming on Peacock, if you're subscribing to that one. Or you can go rent it. It's pretty uh, readily uh, accessible. But we're going to wrap up our Cronenberg cast, with next uh, week's episode. And as we did the first time out, we did two Davids, one Brandon. We're going to do the same thing with this week's episode. Matt, the film I have been waiting since January to show you. We're going to do his new release from earlier in the year, Infinity Pool. About an auto
0: accident that goes south, right? Yeah, kind of.
1: Yeah. <laughs> talk about a MacGuffin of incidents, but yeah. Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, Matt, you got to buckle up because this is as wild as a ride as Possessor was, and I can't. The things we're going to talk about, we're going to go on some tangents.
0: Dude, <laughs> I can't. I can't wait. That's for sure. Yeah, this, I'm so excited. I I really had to fight off watching it this week. I wanted to because I had some time. Yeah, I'm gonna wait because I, I want to do it you, with you. Yeah, keep keep but doing it. Was it. Hard not to
1: keep fighting the urge because (laughs) I have a, a 4k uncut version of the movie coming. So it's going to, it's going to have some more bits in it uh, for sure. Fantastic. Excellent. Well to that, Hey, thank you very much for listening. We're right in the middle of spooky
0: season here in September, but Hey, we got to get going long live the new flesh. Everybody Jesse, I've got this really strange itch on my stomach and it's kind of moving to my back. Can you take a look? I think I have this. Hey, table. I got
1: a, I got a, I got a, a solution for that. It's called uh, old pizza crust in my coffee. <laughs> That'll do it.
0: <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to
1: Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there, it really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Videodrome is property of Universal Pictures, Film Plan International, Canadian Film Development Corporation, Famous Players, and Guardian Trust Company. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.
4: flesh